morning, saints. It's good to see you all as we gather for worship on uh, this Lord's Day. If you're visiting with us here at Providence, we are very happy to have you with us here. We do hope you are blessed this morning, that you are warmly received uh, by the church. Uh, Before we begin our service of worship, we do have just a few announcements, several announcements. Uh, All Sunday school classes will resume on September 10th, and so... Not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. We will resume all Sunday school classes. If you're unaware of what we do here, we have classes for adults, uh, classes for youth, uh, various ages. And so that will begin uh, September 10th. If you would also please pray for our teachers as they prepare uh, for this coming uh, semester. But please mark that on your calendars. Also, uh, next week there will be an additional offering that will be taken up uh, next Sunday in support of the Deacons Fund. And also, if you would like to donate to the local food pantry, please bring uh, non-perishable food items to the church next Sunday. Also, there will be no evening service uh, next week. And please mark this date, Saturday, October 14th, is, women's, is the Women's Day Out for our ladies here at uh, Providence. Sign-ups will begin on September 17th. And if you would like more information about that, uh, please uh, see Linda Nelson. So that's October 14th for the Women's Day Out. Also, friends, if you would, please keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed there in the insert in your bulletin this week. Our family of the week is uh, the Royce family, so please pray for Lily and Aurora uh, this week. Also, you probably saw uh, an email go out uh, this week. Chris Doobie's uh, mother passed away this week, so please pray for the Doobies as they grieve over her loss and as they continue to care for uh, her father who is now uh, widowed. And so uh, please pray for the Doobie family in this regard. Well, friends, we have gathered here in the name of Christ to worship the only true and living God. As the music plays now, let us prepare our hearts to worship him. the saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear God call us to worship him from Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Let us now sing the doxology.
pray with me. Our Father and our God, who do we have in heaven but you? And there's no one on earth that we desire besides you. Father, our flesh and our heart may fail, but you are the strength of our heart and our glory forever. We pray, O Lord, that you would fill us with peace and contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us your strength. Lead us to him, we pray, in his mighty name. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 25c, Psalm 25c, Lord, I lift my soul to thee, and we will sing the first four stanzas this time around. So Psalm 25c, stanzas one through four. You may be seated. I would like to invite you now to turn to the front of your Trinity hymnals to page Roman numeral 16. On page Roman numeral 16 at the front of your hymnals, you will find a list of the Ten Commandments there, friends. And let us remember that the Ten Commandments are a revelation of the moral law of God to man. So they reveal to man what is required of us by God. And they remind us of the perfections and the beauty of Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience and his self-sacrifice to release us from the curse of the law. So as we read the Ten Commandments together, let us be mindful of all that Christ has done and let, us spur, let, let this spur us on to greater thankfulness uh, for him. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. O beloved, having now heard God's law, let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is in your bulletin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Amen. O beloved, to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, these words are very true. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. And so he gives assurance in his word to believers that our sins have been forgiven, forgiven as we see in Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen. Well, let us finish out Psalm 25c now. Lord, I lift my soul to thee, Psalm 25c, by singing stanzas 5 through 9. So stanzas 5 through 9, 25c. Let's all stand together as we sing.
seated. I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Uh, this morning we will consider Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. I would like to begin the reading in verse 27, however. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 27, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we lift our souls to you. We recognize that we are but sinners before your holy majesty, and yet you have chosen in your infinite wisdom to forgive us of all of our sins, to pardon our iniquities by the blood of your Son. We thank you, Father, for this deep and wonderful truth. We thank you that you have accepted us, that you have adopted us as your children, and that we now, with spiritual ears, listen to the voice of our Father speaking in the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray, Father, that by this inspired and fallible word that you would speak to our hearts. Father, conform us into the image of your beloved Son, your chosen servant, who laid down his life for the sheep. We pray that you would do this good work in your people. To the praise of your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, beloved, this is the word of God. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of, your, of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Well, verse 29 begins with the word for, for it has been granted to you. This word, as we've said many times before, and I'll say it many times, Lord willing, after this, hopefully we can uh, learn this lesson. Uh, this word for connects what Paul says in these verses with what he said previously. It's similar to saying the word because in this context. So this, this, and this because of this. Verse 29, because it has been granted to you. And so what did Paul say before these verses? He said, and that from God. What was from God? 
Opposition to the gospel. That is what was from God. And opposition to the gospel as a clear sign of the salvation of God's people. They oppose you, but their opposition is a clear sign to you, the church, that you will be saved. That is, all of that is from God. Of your salvation and that from God. That, those are the kinds of things he said previously. Now, why is this true? Why is opposition, suffering for Christ, a clear sign of our salvation? Verse 29. Because... Because it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, most of us here, I think, like receiving gifts. Children, if you're here, do you like receiving gifts at Christmas? Do you like receiving gifts on your birthday? I'm sure that you do. That's an easy answer, right? Yes, I do like getting gifts on my birthday on and at Christmas. Well, Paul says that every member of the church has received a gift from God. We have received something from God, a gift. Well, this is exciting, right? What is this gift? I can't wait to open it, like at Christmas. I can't wait to see what I've gotten. Well, we come to find here, we come to find out here that God's gift to us is suffering. It has been granted to you. It has been given to you. To suffer. That's the gift. Suffering, friends, as a Christian, is a gift. It is a gift from God. And just like when you receive gifts from others, it is a gift for which we should be thankful. Verse, or if you think about what Paul says in chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so the gift of suffering is a gift from God for which we are to be thankful. And let's look at how, well, let's look at how or why Paul understands the church's suffering to be a gift. The first thing is this. We should appreciate here that the suffering in view here and in the rest of the New Testament is not restricted to a particular kind of suffering, namely the suffering that comes by way of direct persecution toward the gospel. The persecution that would come as a direct opposition to the gospel of Christ. The suffering is not restricted to just that, although that is a form of suffering for sure. If we are persecuted, opposed because of our confession, because of the ministry of the gospel, that is certainly a form of suffering. Paul had just mentioned the opponents of the Philippians in verse 28. This may have included direct opposition from outside the church, opposition from, for example, the Roman culture, the ungodly Roman authorities. He may have been thinking about that. Paul himself was experiencing something like this as he was languishing in prison for Christ. Who put them there? Authorities, some authority, possibly the Roman authority. Verse 13, Paul says, my imprisonment is for Christ. And so he is suffering as a result of direct opposition to Christ, to the gospel. And so that is part of it. It could have been opposition also from within the church that he's thinking of. False doctrine or from false teachers. 
In chapter 3, he will tell the church, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers. What he was talking about there is, was false teachers, those who tried to impose circumcision on, on Christians as a way to be saved. And so it could have been false teaching. Paul doesn't spe- specify that here. But when you hear suffering, when we hear suffering as, as Christians in the, in the church, you might think of persecution, right? As a form of direct opposition to the gospel. You hear suffering and you think being persecuted for Christ. You might think of the kind of persecution and isolation experienced by Christians in other parts of the world where Christianity is actually outlawed. They suffer in that way. Certainly, the suffering that Paul has in mind here includes that particular type of suffering that does come as a result of opposition to the gospel, as a result of persecution. This persecution, again, is happening or happens to Christians in other places and in every generation. Why? Because they hate what is preached. They hate the Christ that is preached. So that is certainly a form of suffering for the church. But for most of us here at Providence in Austin this morning, we don't experience this necessarily right now. And we may never experience this, this particular type of suffering. And so then as we hear this, these words from Paul about suffering, are we then excluded from the suffering that he has in mind here? Is he only talking about those Christians that are actually persecuted for their faith? Are we then excluded because we don't experience that? Are we not recipients of this gift? Well, the answer to these questions, of course, is no. The suffering that Paul mentions here is suffering that every member of the church experiences as a Christian every day of their lives until Christ comes again or until you are taken to be with him at death. Now, it comes in different forms, for sure. It comes in different forms for different churches, but it is suffering nonetheless. It is suffering that we endure. This suffering includes persecutions, but it's not limited to that. It also includes the misery of living our lives in Christ in this dark age, in broken bodies, suffering physical pain from broken bones, perhaps, or broken minds. We might think of permanent physical handicaps that some endure as Christians, permanent mental handicaps that some endure in the church. We might think about these things for ourselves, and that's hard enough as it is in itself, as a form of suffering. But what about our children? Is it not a form of suffering for Christ to see and experience brokenness in our children? It is. Perhaps that's even harder to endure. What about the very often vulgar and gross ungodliness in the world that we can't seem to avoid and that we come into contact with in all types of ways? Unless you permanently stick your head in the ground, which we can't, Christians will, until the day we die, or until Jesus comes again, 
we will have to endure the gross idolatry and the blatant and proud ungodliness of the world. It is something we will have to endure until the end of time. Paul calls this generation, the world, the ungodliness in the world, he calls it in chapter 2, a crooked and twisted generation. That is part of the suffering that all of us have to endure, even now, right now. Whether or not we are persecuted for the gospel. So those are forms of suffering. We also contend against the temptations of Satan. We daily wake up to a spiritual conflict as a Christian. That is the reality in which we live. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the suffering that the church was experiencing and enduring, and he associates that affliction with the work of the evil one. Satan is behind that. All forms, a lot of the forms that, of the suffering that we endure, Satan is behind. So the temptations of Satan, the work of the evil one in this world is part of the suffering that we endure. Jesus taught us to pray. He taught the church to pray always like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which could really be translated, deliver us from the evil one, the activity of the evil one, which is presently at work. He is a defeated foe, yes. He is abound by Christ, yes. But he, there is activity there, nonetheless. And so we war against Satan and those who follow him. And so contending against the temptations of Satan is part of the suffering that the church must endure, each member of the church. And so for us here today, in this time period, in this location, Providence, North Austin, Texas, we all, for the most part, we drive here without being stopped by the police because we're going to worship. Christianity is not outlawed here. But Satan is still at work. You still suffer through a spiritual and therefore largely invisible conflict as a Christian. You still suffer and contend against the evil one, the temptations of the evil one, which, again, for the most part, is largely invisible. It's an invisible war in which you're engaged. But it is a war nonetheless, and therefore you suffer. Now, Christ's resurrection assures us of the victory. He assures us what he has done, what he has said to us, what he promises us, assures us that we will have the victory, that we will, in the end, be victorious, but we do suffer until then. We are at war against an enemy, nonetheless. Now, this reality is the reason why Paul can say in verse 30 that the Philippians, as he's writing to them, And they're enjoying their freedoms. They're enjoying not being in prison for the gospel. He can say to them while he's in prison for the gospel, in verse 30, that they are all engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. That's what Paul said. They're in the same fight, the same struggle, the same war. Now, the word translated here, conflict, is a word that and its general use was used to refer to conflict in either the sports arena or conflict in a military setting. It is where we get our English word agony. You might think about the agony of fighting for victory 
in a soccer match or a football or basketball game, or you might think about the agony, the conflict, and the pain from fighting in war, in a military setting. It's that kind of agony that is, that, that is referred to here on some level because this is the word that's used for those, uh, for those spheres. The church, every one of us, young, old, middle-aged, married, single, widowed, we are all engaged in a spiritual conflict. All of us. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and that we all still have together. That's what Paul says. Now think about the sports arena. There's different types of uh, players. There's different types of members on each side of of the teams that compete against one another. There's coaches and players. There's trainers. There's offensive and defensive coordinators. They're in the same conflict against an opponent, just in different forms. Or you might think about war. There's the infantry. There are pilots. There are the naval forces. There are marines, sergeants, lieutenants, spies even. And you might even think about biologists, scientists. There's a new movie that just came out about scientists or biologists who invented the atomic bomb. He was part of the conflict of World War II. And so a different form, never picked up a gun, but certainly in the conflict with the other soldiers in that war. So too with the church's suffering. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of the Philippians were apostles like Paul was here. Paul talks about the conflict that the church saw that he had and still has. Well, what did they see in the beginning and what were they seeing now? Well, Paul began this church plant in Philippi by being imprisoned. If you look back into the book of Acts, when he begins his ministry in this city, he ends up in prison for Christ. And so this church plant, this church began with the apostle in prison and now he's back there again years later. And so that's, what, that's the kind of conflict that they saw that he had. But they were all in the same conflict, just in different forms. And so not all are apostles, not all are missionaries or pastors, not all are persecuted for their faith in the same way that Paul was being persecuted here. But we are all friends, each one of us, engaged in the same conflict. No matter where you are, no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter what your abilities may be presently or may not be presently, you are engaged. You are part of this conflict. You wage war with all the rest of us against the temptations of Satan, against the ungodliness of the world, against your own indwelling sin. We are all in this spiritual war uh, together. And so suffering here includes all types of suffering. Persecution, yes, but all types of suffering that every Christian endures. The second thing is this. This type of suffering that Paul mentions here is peculiar to the believing members of the church. That is to say, this type of suffering that Paul references here is shared by the members of the church and no one else. Please understand that. This is suffering that is given by God to believers for the sake of Christ. Verse 29, to those who believe in him. 
It's their gift. It's not everyone's gift. It's your gift because you believe in him. Now, this is important to think about, and I'll explain it in a minute. This is important to think about because unbelievers, those who don't believe in Christ, the non-elect, and we don't know who all of those are, but there are unbelievers in the world who suffer also. Unbelievers suffer right along with believers in this world. That is a given fact. If you think about wars, earthquakes, fires, floods, cancer, depression, loneliness, heartbreak, poverty, sickness, all of these things touch the lives of believers and unbelievers. And sometimes in the exact same ways and at the exact same time. A flood will take out members of the church and take out unbelievers all at the same time. And so unbelievers suffer as well. But for the unbelieving world, for the most part, the suffering that they endure leads only to a further hardening of their hearts against God. That is what happens with them. To put it in Paul's language, unbelievers suffer, or unbelievers who suffer, do not suffer for the sake of Christ. And that is so because they don't believe in him. But we do. We do believe in Christ. All those who trust in Jesus Christ have faith in him. That is a gift also. It is a gift from God to believe in Christ, to humble ourselves before him, to trust in him as a gift from God to the elect that we believe in him. But precisely because we have been given the gift of faith, we suffer. You see that correlation. The the two go hand in hand. You've been given the gift of faith, and along with that faith, you will suffer in all types of ways as part of the body of Christ. It has been given to you not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. And so let's continue to think about this concept, about how unbelievers are not given this gift. They suffer, yes, but they do not suffer for the sake of Christ. Their suffering, in the end, leads them to a further hardening of their hearts and their hatred of the gospel and their unbelief. But for Christians, it's different. And so let's look at this. Three times our relationship to Christ here is mentioned. Verse 29, for the sake of Christ... For those who believe in him, we suffer for his sake. And so in union with Christ, we suffer with Christ. There is an organic union that believers have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in Christ, we suffer with him. It is a gift to be a part of him. It is a gift to suffer along with Christ. It is part of the fellowship, the union that we have with our Lord and Savior. And therefore, all our suffering is shaped by the cross. We have been baptized into Christ, and therefore, we daily take up our cross to die. We suffer unto glory. That is something that we as Christians who have been baptized into Christ experience in this age, and no one else does. The unbelievers outside the church do not experience this suffering, taking up the cross and dying daily on behalf of Christ, for the sake of Christ. 
And so in union with Christ, his death becomes our death. And that death is a dying to sin and to this world. It's a dying to sin, being crucified to this world, crucified to the flesh, setting aside, putting to death our sinful deeds and desires. That is what it means for the believer. To take up our cross and to put to death our sinful desires, our sinful deeds, and to crucify ourselves to the world, to the pagan, godless world. That is what Jesus did at the cross. And we go through this, friends, together, engaged in the same conflict. One member of the body suffers, we all suffer. That's how it works. And this is part of the reason why Paul will spend some time, and Lord willing, we'll look at this next week on commanding the church to be unified. We're in a conflict together. It doesn't do us much good to be separated and to not be unified. We've got to be unified in our, in our contest against the devil and our contest against the world. And so this is a, a suffering that is peculiar to the church and to the church alone that Paul has in mind here. Now, Paul refers to this suffering on the part of the church as a gift from God, Suffering for the Christian is a gift. It has been given to you because, well, why? Why is it, can we refer to it as a gift from God alongside faith? We all enjoy trusting in Christ and trusting in his atoning work and the forgiveness of sins. Maybe not so much the suffering part, right? The gift of suffering. Maybe that's a a less enjoyable gift that we've been given from God. Why can Paul refer to this, refer to suffering as a gift? How, how can you refer to it this way? Well, friends, suffering for the Christian is a gift that has been given to us, that has been given to us from God because it is the way in which God, by his word and spirit, conforms us into the image of his Son. It is the way in which he shapes us into something better, something more holy, something more joyful and content. That is why it's a gift. Because in suffering, he sheds away, he cuts away the dross of sin in your life to make you more like his son. And looked at from that point of view, every Christian should recognize that, yes, this is, that is a gift. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't leave me in my sin, that who I am today is not the same person I was 10 years ago as a Christian. That is why it is a gift, friends. Paul talks about later in chapter 3, becoming like him, becoming like Jesus Christ. When we suffer, God in that suffering, by that suffering, shapes us into the image of of his son. And therefore, the suffering we endure, friends, is always cross shaped. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to be conformed to the cross, to die to yourself, to pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. That is something that not all people experience, and that is a gift that not all people have been given because they do not believe in Christ. They do not have faith in Christ. And so, let's try to, with all this in mind, let's try to tie all of this together. You as a believer in Christ may be suffering in such a way today that you think 
that God is out to destroy you. Or maybe this might happen to you at some point in the future. That the suffering that you are enduring feels as though it is something that is beyond what you can bear. And it is evidence to you that God hates you. He's forsaken you. This is obvious because of this suffering. The suffering is beyond what we can bear, and so we tend to interpret and think that it is obvious, this is a sign that God has stopped loving me. He has set his eyes from upon me. He's no longer protecting me. You can see this all over the Psalms, this kind of attitude. Maybe you are beginning to regard your suffering again as evidence that God has turned his back on you. Well, isn't that what they tried to convince Jesus of when he was dying on the cross? He was nailed to a cross, dying, naked, humiliated. What did they say to him? They said, if you are the son of God, come down. End your suffering. If you are the so-called son of God, his beloved servant, why are you fastened to a cross? Come down. Do we not think something similar when we suffer, when we endure suffering in whatever form in this age? God, prove you love me in this suffering. That's kind of our prayer. That's kind of our cries, is it not, at times? Show me that you actually love me and in this pain. But what is Paul telling us here? What is he telling, what is he telling the church, the church that suffers for Christ's sake? God is not out to destroy you. Rather, he is loving you. By using your pain, your suffering, he is causing you to think and to act more like his very own son. That is a gift. That is a gift that we enjoy, the church, and that unbelievers do not enjoy. And so again, looked at from that perspective, this should, these should be our words. These should be, we should be thankful for these verses. In this way, friends, also, our suffering identifies us as belonging to Jesus. For those of you who believe in him, you suffer for him, it's evidence you belong to him. You feel pain because of the temptations of the world, your fight against your own sin, the ungodliness of the world, the temptations of Satan. You feel pain because of that. It's because you belong to Jesus. And so it's evidence that you were adopted into his family and that God is your father And he's loving you. It's part of our identity, friends, as God's adopted children. As Paul says here, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to suffer. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father in heaven, we praise you, O God, and we thank you for your abundant goodness, your mercy to undeserving sinners like us. For we have been given the gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ, to humble ourselves before him, and to suffer for his sake. And Father, we pray for the church, for the suffering church, that you would remind us of this great truth. Remind us, O God, that suffering is a gift, a gift by which you conform us into the image of your Son that you make us more and more like him, delighting in your word, rejecting the temptations of the evil one, and living more and more unto righteousness. We do pray for those this morning that suffer in all kinds of ways, 
that are broken, that are grieving, that suffer even opposition from unbelievers, but also opposition from the world, from the evil one. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to us all. For we are engaged in the same conflict together against the evil one in union with Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would give us grace. Give us grace to endure. Remind us of the gift that you've given to us and do your work in us. Conform us into the image of your Son. Father, we pray now for the nations of the world, for uh, those war-torn places and those, especially those places that are struck with much conflict from within and from without. We pray for the church in these places, that you would conform her into the image of Jesus Christ and that you would be merciful to her. And Father, we pray that in all these things that you would dispose all things uh, to your glory and in accordance with your will. Father, we pray for our nation and for our civil leaders. We thank you for uh, those whom you have raised up to lead this country and to lead our city and this region. We pray that you would be merciful to them. Father, give the church grace to be uh, submissive and humble to um, the laws of the land and to the authorities that you have established. Uh, above all, we pray, Father, that Christ would be magnified through all that they do and um, that the church would endure uh, suffering in this age, even as we endure ungodly laws and unrighteousness that seems to abound in this culture. Father, we pray that you would do this for the sake of the glory that you have revealed in Christ. Father, we pray for our missionaries whom you've sent out into the world, and we pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Father, conform them into the image of Christ as they suffer for the sake of Christ. We lift up to you, Father, this morning, the Payson's who serve in Uruguay and the Richlands, we thank you for their service and for their hard work and dedication to the church. Father, be with them and the other church members in uh, this area. Uh, grant them your grace, O oh Lord. Father, we pray for the work of church planting in our region. We thank you for uh, Reverend Sumter and for new church plants and for uh, the, the hope and um, interest in new church plants. We pray that according with, in accordance with your will, you would raise these uh, servants up. Father, we pray now for the needs of our church. We thank you for your mercy to us over the years and for your continued mercy and grace to us today. We pray that you would provide for all of our needs and uh, lift us up in Jesus Christ. And um, Father, we as we think about those who suffer in our midst, we lift up to you now the elderly and those who face cancer as we pray for Eileen, Dorothy, Kay, Sue's mother, Jean Davies, Hal, Alan Story, Corey's mother. We pray for Hikari, Rosalie, for the Broccolo family. We lift up to you this morning Iona Engelbrecht and the Milam family, Claire Deesing, Diane Reardon. Father, we pray for uh, Dave Dash, the friend of the Easter days. We pray for our brother uh, Jerry Nilsson and his son Kyle, that you would bless them as uh, they return back home um, and who have worshipped with us for some time. We pray that you would t uh, meet all of their needs and bless them. Father, we lift up to you the Doobie family this morning. We ask that you would, you, the God of all comfort, would comfort Chris and the rest of the family as they mourn the loss of her mother. And we pray for her father as well, that you would give him sustaining grace. And Father, Shepherd them by your spirit and watch over them, uh, we pray. Father, we lift up to you those with cancer, Kay's sister-in-law, Arlene, Jim Witt, Laura's friend, William, and John Burleson. Father, grant them your grace and be with them all as they suffer 
uh, in this way. Father, we lift up to you uh, the Royce family. We thank you for Lily and Aurora. We thank you for the faith that you've uh, given Lily and for the life of Aurora. We pray, Father, that you would provide uh, for all of Lily's needs and um, for this family. We pray that you would lead her by your spirit and give her grace to uh, raise her daughter in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we pray that Aurora would serve your glory all of her days and that she would never know a day of not loving you and serving your uh, serving your word. Father, we lift up to you our mission work in, in Ukraine and for our expectant mothers. We lift up to the Akorafor family as they look for a home. Bless them in this regard. Father, we pray that you would uh, meet the needs of every member of our church as we suffer for the sake of Christ. We pray that you would provide for us both spiritually and physically. We do pray, Father, for rain, that you would give us physical rain for this land, which is uh, dry and weary, and we look to you, O oh God, who, who alone uh, causes the clouds to drop rain. And so we pray, Father, that you would uh, give drink to our, our land to the praise of your glory. Father, we commit all of these requests unto you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have the opportunity to give uh, to the work of Christ's kingdom through our uh, sacrificial offerings. We pray to the Lord that he would use our gifts uh, for his wise and holy purposes. Amen. I'll turn in your hymnals to the back to page 851 uh, if you need to do so. Uh, there you will find the Apostles' Creed, which we will uh, confess now as a confession of our faith in the gospel, and let us all stand together as we do. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 515, More Than Conquerors, hymn 515.
Amen. Friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you perfect peace. Amen.